2: Welcome to the Caged In podcast and this special bonus episode of a series I'm running called Caged In Interviews where I just talk to weird and wonderful people who in some way have had some connection to Cage and this week it is the amazing Mike Pearl. Mike has written a book called The Day It Finally Happens. I'm not going to talk about it too much in the intro throughout this episode and really really dive deep into some of the subjects of some of the chapters Um, but I implore that If you're interested in Mike's book, and I really, really, really do recommend it. I've been listening to it on audiobook. You can buy it from Amazon or wherever you get books from. It is a really interesting and fascinating look at just possibilities of what could happen if certain things were to happen in the world. I know that's a, a very lacklustre explanation, but Mike does a much better job of it in the podcast. So, Yeah, just sit back and enjoy this one and there'll be plenty more interviews to come in the future. Today I'm joined by Mike Pearl, uh, author of The Day It Finally Happens, Alien Contact, Dinosaur Parks, Immortal Humans and Other Possible Phenomena. How are you, Mike?
1: Uh, You know, pretty as good as could possibly be expected under the the conditions we're all under.
2: Well, yeah, you, you... your book kind of prophesies this in a in a weird way how How does that make you feel uh, you
1: know well it, I, if i if I had listened to a lot of the people that I talked to for the book, then I would have had a lot more food stored up in my shed. <laughs> I would have had way more ammunition I, I you know it's like i feel i feel like i didn't i feel like i didn't listen to my own advice.
2: Well yeah it's, it's 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 quite interesting the uh um the writer of Contagion has recently been interviewed and asked about like the film mirrors what's going on right now and he's like yeah I'm I'm, I'm not surprised like everyone I spoke to said this is exactly what will happen at some point not a matter of when and not a yeah. matter of like if it's a matter of when it will happen and every beat of that film has kind of come true in this weird i don't know weird weird time really isn't it like
1: yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> i mean contagion it's crazy how like all that stuff about touching your face um you know that was in the movie ended up like uh playing into all of our lives ended up being our everyday reality
2: well yeah that's that but obviously yeah i'm talking about the chapter the day antibiotics don't work anymore which obviously right. oh right where this is is like that that's kind of how it's so prescient to what's going on right now in regards to yourself but like that's just one of many like topics you cover in this book um just yeah i mean yeah you go go ahead man
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh i'm glad you um highlighted that chapter um you know because it's like what what interested me when i started writing about the day that antibiotics don't work anymore was the idea that you know they're not going to be able to do, you know, if, if your if your diabetic grandmother um, needs to have her leg removed or something like that, then um, she's not going to be able to get that surgery anymore after antibiotics because, or, or when, when antibiotics aren't usable anymore, just because they would normally, a procedure like that, they would normally um, pump you full of antibiotics to guarantee that you'll live through that amputation. And just the idea that like, A lot of what I guess what I guess you would call like, you know, everyday infections, normal, normal infections um, would become like, uh, you know, would go back to being, you know, you get a splinter, you can die again. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're we're used to the idea that like, you know, if you if you cut your if you if you're slicing an avocado and you cut your hand open and you need stitches or something like that, that injury is oh certainly not going to kill you and <laughs> and when we lose antibiotics we go back to a world where you know no you really need to worry about that injury um and that's what i was kind of focused on when i wrote that chapter and just by kind kind of by happenstance um people wanted to talk with that, i went in with that in mind and people wanted to talk to me about pandemics <laughs> and um you know because because bacteria this is not a bacterial pandemic yeah, yeah, yeah and yet <laughs> when you talk to epidemiology people they're just like well we need to, there's a lot of there are a lot of, plague is a bacterium and it's also a, a contagious pathogen and in our minds i don't think we kind of like make the connections and divisions between bacteria and viruses you know bacteria are these giant things that like you know they hang around they reproduce on their own they're super different as as organisms but you know when you're dying of one (laughs) you don't care whether you're dying of a virus or a bacterium so when i was writing that chapter i ended up writing about pandemic like you said the scientists were so eager to tell me how a pandemic was coming, you know? So I didn't set out, I didn't set out to predict this. I didn't, (laughs) chapter wasn't about predicting that this was going to happen. So when you read it, it's not like it'll go blow by blow through this pandemic that we're going through. It's just that like, you know, we really should have seen this coming because I was a guy who wasn't trying to write about a pandemic (laughs) and I wrote about one anyway. And, you know, it was, it was out there. We should not be surprised that this happened.
2: Well, it goes beats for beats with, like, a lot of the stuff, like, you kind of see, like, we should be worried about. Like, you mentioned, like, uh presenteeism, like, that kind of idea that without sick leave, we are just kind of putting ourselves out to this. And, like, to go back to the um thing of Contagion, whilst uh researching for that film, the writer said, like, that is one of the things they were told is without sick leave, like people will like just spread things so fast uh and that's that's kind of what we're seeing i guess like for me as like a british person we've kind of got pre- presenteeism mixed with this uh stiff upper lip of like uh keep calm and carry on so like we're we're, we're doubly fucked i guess <laughs> in a way
1: <laughs> well i mean i mean you know in the u.s it's like we have presenteeism just because we have no social safety net yeah and you know you've got the dole such as it is and we've got like nothing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we've got you fucked yeah. um and then and then in, in in japan and south korea they've got presenteeism just because um you know i, I lived in south korea for a year and it's just that like you know you work sixteen hour days just because you don't want to rock the boat, yeah, yeah yeah, they want you in there all the time and you know, <laughs> and so and and in South Korea, you show up with your sick when you're doing your presenteism, you do it in a surgical mask at least yes and now we're learning now we're learning that that helps you know what's funny is being in South Korea um when i when I was um, none of the foreigners would wear. A mask it all it felt so weird it was like what do i think i'm, I'm just gonna walk around the street wearing a mask what am i a surgeon it yeah. looks weird i'm not <laughs> i just don't do it and and boy has that ever changed you know well like i don't
2: want to focus this whole because i guess everyone like listening's probably just got pandemic being shoved down their throats at the moment but there's this, as i said this is one of many like chapters in this book one being uh, one i've i've read the title and i was like that's that's some obviously it's the first chapter so so it helped but it's something i, I really really wanted to uh read was the day the uk finally abolishes its monarchy yeah um which is it's something i i i personally call for a lot of the time because i, I kind of <laughs> yeah are other, you a
1: republican
2: well i just kind of see like it as a redundant uh prospect in the way that like like you you bring up the point in your book about like um the people who should be fearful of the, the lack of monarchy in this country are uh, people working in tourism. Uh, right. which I found a really interesting point, but like a counterpoint to that, just like obviously not to you've done the research, but I, I look at France and like, they still have the castles and like the, they have all the stuff that the monarchy used to own. People still go there legitimately. We, we won't lose Windsor Castle if we get rid right. of the monarchy like right. if anything it will probably bring more people in because we can turn them into like heritage sites or like people can actually look inside as opposed to going oh the queen lives in there
1: <laughs> yep exactly I mean it, the, the classic example is you know um, Tiananmen Square and mm-hmm. um, the all, all of the like everything in Beijing yeah. used to be that used to be all the emperor's stuff and uh and, and now and now like that's still what everybody wants to see because now it's Mause's stuff. Yeah. And um and like you know the, the but the counterpoint to that was that there I was in the I was in Windsor yeah, because yeah. I wanted to see the crowds around the Queen because I needed to talk to them and they were all there. Uh, they had just tra- they had just spent money on train tickets to go to Windsor to see the Queen on Easter. And uh, and and then I, and then I met up uh, a mother and her daughter who had flown in from Florida wow. because they um, you know they knew that they couldn't afford to see the the, um, the the upcoming royal wedding at the time the one between uh, Meghan and Harry and they were like oh we're just hoping that we'll see him uh, on Easter and um they didn't they didn't show up the church that day um you know but they got to see uh they got to see uh, uh the other one <laughs> they got to see um they got one to see them. the they got to
2: see one of them they... They got to see, yeah, somebody royal was there yeah, yeah. perfect uh, yeah.
1: and and um you know they so they were there. they were They were spending the money I... but is that a, but it but is yeah. is you know is the fact that like people show up from florida and you know fly into Luton airport and yeah, yeah. stay in an airbnb is that like is that worth a system of government <laughs> is it worth that being the basis of your system of government basically? well
2: it's, it's 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 not though the the royal family in this country don't don't actually uh govern any anything really they just they j they're just kind of there obviously we have like uh we have a like we have um yeah, like uh, politicians that we. So we have political parties that run the country, but the I, I I like I'm obviously not coming as somebody who knows what's going like knows all about it. I'm no expert in any way, but like it's more of a thing that like in times like now, especially like in a time of crisis, they wheel out the the queen to kind of like let the people know, like ah, you're gonna be all right, even if that may not be the case. She's kind of just like a state figure to. To to yeah. tell us at, tell us on Christmas Day and in the times of panic, like you're yeah. gonna be all right, and it's it's yeah. it's a it's a very bizarre construct, I guess. It's,
1: right, but like so. you know, if if but like if you look at if you look at the if you look at the system oh, the way that like mm-hmm. Graham Smith of Republic wants you to look at it, yeah, yeah. you know, then then he then he says this, and it and I'm actually kind of persuaded by it. That guy, by the way, Graham Smith of Republic. God love him. He's not very charismatic. He just goes on to your he just goes on to your your like talk shows it's eaten alive by much more charismatic and better spoken yeah. TV hosts and stuff like that. They're just like, here's a guy who hates the queen, and then they have him on and then they tell him off and then there he goes <laughs> and then nobody has to think about it at all. Um uh you know, he you know, he makes the argument that and it's probably one that is not news to anybody who's listening to this, but you know, it's just like you look at um Prince Charles's history of investments, you know, and his his biases clearly inform the the actions that he will prefer Parliament take when he's king down the line. And yeah. so people know people know what people you know he, he bestows titles upon people, and people want those titles. And so you know how you will you know what behavior will sort of win you these forms of yeah. approbation and 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 acclaim. And and the, and that is a form of power, and that is a form of that is a valuable type of um, of, of power that, that affects the way that the government is run. So you know, it's it's not that the royals have no power; they they yeah. have rubber stamp power. But you know, it it comes to and this is what I talk about it in the book. This this is sort of this is like, do they have no power? Because here's a question: if you. Um, if parliament takes action to remove the, if to, to become a Republic and then they have an act of parliament that's done, it's signed, it's approved. They have to then take that for assent to whoever the monarch is. Do they then rubber stamp it? Because they, they, if they rubber stamp it, they're done. You know, they can, do they actually make that move? Do they end, do they end the, K- the k in uk for all time yeah
2: we, well we had a very like um weird moment at the start of the year this year where our current prime minister lied to the queen about um the 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 fun the fun thing that we had to distract us from everything before this pandemic which was brexit yeah brexit uh, yeah. was a nice
1: distraction for a while yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where if we're going to pick up with that once uh once all this has blown over but um yeah there was a whole thing that obviously like yeah uh boris johnson had lied to the queen about like oh what, th- these are my plans when like they weren't at all so yeah you are right in that yeah there is i'm probably i'm probably speaking on things that i probably don't know that much about which is always the case but that's why i speak to people like you who have done, done the research and <laughs> yes, looked well, into these things um i i you know i f- i feel
1: i felt a bit bad weighing in because i'm I'm American, yeah. therefore I have this sort of like inherent bias. They teach us, they teach us from like, you know, when we're in first grade, they teach us that the king of England was a real bastard, and we kicked his ass, and now we have a country. <laughs> and um, so, like, you know, so I went into it, I went into it, I went into it, sort of with that in mind. Like, I have to, I have to be as open-minded as I possibly can. To the idea that maybe having a monarch in charge of everything is is great, and, and the only and the and the the best thing I could say about a monarch is you have somebody who's raised to be good at like shaking hands and being nice to foreign dignitaries, yep. and <laughs> that person is the head of state of your country, who all dignitaries, you know, that's that's who they're going to meet, and our person is whatever dickhead we you know we feel like electing that year. And it can be somebody who really, really sucks at you know shaking hands and being nice to not shaking hands anymore, but being nice to foreign <laughs> dignitaries and stuff like that. Like We have right now. Yes,
2: you know? yes, yeah, yeah, yes. so, very, very interesting time to be talking. I, I guess about about this yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'm not sure when this would go out, but this is within the week of. I guess will be at some point it will be uh, branded as Bleachgate uh in in the in the in the near in the near to distant future i guess uh
1: yeah yeah uh, but i will say this about donald trump he he, um he and believe me i am not a donald Trump voter (laughs) but um but like you know you you watch the news and you see like the you see pundits on cnn and msnbc kind of poo-pooing every possible uh potential harebrained cure and and crazy elixir that's going to cure coronavirus and um and and like i'm i my my faith is in science and and yeah, modern yeah. medicine but i desperately want it to turn out that eating toothpaste cures coronavirus so that we can so that this can all be done you know oh. <laughs> like when 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 like like you know as a as a as a good coastal media elite person I am supposed to look at all of those people who are injecting themselves with bleach with such disdain but it's like no I I get it
2: yeah (laughs) I want this to be over (laughs) yeah I've got friends of mine who um who saw that like saw an article headline that just read like France is doing studies to see if nicotine like is fights against coronavirus and they're like all of a sudden it's like this 20 day of habits going up to 40 because it's
1: like if this is yeah. gonna
2: kill it let's 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 get going like I know. oh god I mean I
1: quit smoking if I could go back to smoking and say like no it's good now yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. would be the best <laughs> love
2: that. so um yeah with like I guess how would you like I, I hate to do this but how would you kind of like sum up like the elevator pitch for your, for your book basically for people for people at home who kind of wanna to, wanna to maybe take? Oh, we've dived in a little bit on two of the chapters, but how
1: would you it's like it's her? a it's a um a collection of hypothetical future scenarios that um really could happen, and I sort of describe them in terms. Uh, I describe them in the terms that I personally think are most plausible or interesting, and then I work backwards to sort of explain why I've given you that scenario. So it's a mix of fiction and fact. Each one starts usually with like a little kind of short story or something like yeah. that. And then I sort of use um, research, uh, a lot of time spent at the library, a lot of interviewing people, a lot of travel around the world. I went to, I went to the UK, I went to India. I went all over the place trying to find the answers to the, the answers to like what these things would be like. And so that includes the day we talked about the one about the UK. We talked about the one about antibiotics not working anymore. There's one about the last fish in the ocean dying. There's one about um, the U.S. banning all the guns. Um, and so these are not all things that I think will happen, but I sort of presuppose that they will for each chapter. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I work backwards from that assumption, sort of explaining what that day would feel like. What would be good? What would be bad? What would it feel like? What would it smell like? What would you experience? So, you know, you can... Say that you feel emotionally prepared for all of these things because God knows no matter how much, no matter how many people went out there and saw Contagion, nobody was actually prepared for this that we're going through right now. But, you know, maybe you were a little bit more emotionally. Maybe you were glad you saw it because you got a little preview. And that's what I hope I can offer with my book.
2: Well, like, you mentioned at the like beginning of your book that like uh part of part of the reason for kind of tackling this uh, m- maybe i got it wrong but, but like part of the reason for tackling these subjects and kind of it's from a place of like anxi- almost like an anxiety and fear and like fight it, like come head on with your own with your own like fears of the world like do you, do you think has has it, has it has it helped you has it helped you right in this book to kind of tackle like those fears
1: Um, you know, my, 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 this is what I've been doing for, for years now is sort of like uh, taking these topics and, and figuring out what would happen. And it is because at the beginning, I mean, it was because I'm a person with an anxiety disorder. I get panic attacks. I get nightmares and, um, researching the thing, researching my phobias and I'm a person, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm one of those knowledge is power people other yeah. people aren't you know i've had people read it and say like i had to drop, it. i had to put it down <laughs> it's scary you know which is like which is cool to hear as an author like you love to hear that somebody was like so scared of your book that they had to put it down or something yeah like i that. guess it's
2: the same oh. as like directors finding like oh, my film was so shocking like people yeah. walked out
1: of the cinema yeah. like yeah um it makes you feel cool but it's like but but i've also had people a lot of people have read it and said like soft stuff didn't scare me at all. Oh, I'd heard it all before, which is bullshit because I, I there's like stuff in my book that's not in <laughs> any other journalistic source. Um but uh you know, uh your mileage may vary on how scary stuff actually is. You know, it goes it, it it covers it covers things that would be nice like the abolition of all slavery for all time and it goes into like the heat death of the universe in the epilogue. So it covers the gamut Topics. and you know if you if you come away if you come away kind of scared or anxious my wife got kind of got scared or scared and anxious by it then that's one acceptable reaction to it and apparently another acceptable reaction to it is to be like the 14 year old big brother at the state fair going like, well, it wasn't scary at all yeah.
2: <laughs> well like i like when you agreed to do this uh interview i kind of like was like right and i know, yeah. it was like i need to i need to like dive head head on into this book and kind of like at least like li- like I, I i listen to audiobooks so at least listen to some of it or get get my head like get my head around it and then kind of listen to the to the forward and was like oh like because i'm prone to like catastrophizing a lot of the time like I've, i i'm also like yeah i'm i'm there on a spectrum of like anxiety and like but i've passed pers- like this should be and this should be the worst time to possibly or like some could say to listen to listen to read or listen to your book but i personally found it like and i've even the coronavirus itself like i've never been so calm um just because i guess my years of panic and worry and thinking about like what is the worst that can happen uh in a way has kind of one of those i don't know it has ha- it, it has happened like do you know what I mean? like if that makes sense i i don't know like kind of
1: I, it does make sense i mean i'm that's very nice what i'm curious like which what <laughs> what what part were you listening to when you felt especially like calm um just no just in that like or this this situation that we're all in is making you feel calm?
2: Yeah, just like kind of and and I I would normally ingest what I was reading it like in regards to your book. A lot of the time then I would take it away and then just like kind of let it wash over me and just panic me and Lay, lay, laying awake going oh shit yeah the oceans like, i really need to get out there like i really need to like <laughs> throw in all the like getting rid of all the plastic in my house being like that's it i'm going totally sustainable i'm doing whatever i need to do to kind of whereas like now obviously i'm not just i'm not buying more plastic that's the, not that that would be the opposite to that but like it was like right no i can kind of like Could deal with this, and I guess it's a two-part pronged effect of living in this time where it's like, well, everything is kind of a a bit crazy, and I don't know. This has been a real, a real knock on the door for me, for my anxiety, and that like it's not like it, it. I probably I don't know. This is probably
1: something I should be speaking to my therapist about, not, not an interview. No, guest, I yeah. mean, I think I think I can I think I can address what you're talking about yeah. exactly. I mean, you know, when it comes to um, reading, reading, like uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly what to call it—catastrophe journalism or, or um, you know, stuff about how like stuff where the thesis of what you're reading yeah. is like everything is bad and and all of it has to change and every and we're all bad. Um, mm-hmm when you read those kinds of pieces of journalism, um, they either say, they sort of say like, Like when you read about climate change and there's, there's, um, there's not one specific chapter on climate change in the book. It's just sort of a theme that sort of like runs throughout the entire book, which that was one thing that I had in mind when I wrote it because climate change is not a day when it finally happens because that already happens. Yeah. yeah, It's always happening. (laughs) Um, So uh, you know, when it comes to reading about that issue, there's this tendency that journalists have to sort of say at the end of whatever the piece is, you know, talked about how like all 99% of all species are gonna go extinct you know uh in a week and uh, it's all your fault you person reading this and, um and uh <laughs> yeah, they're right <laughs> um but like uh then then at the end they say like oh and we need to uh, we need to move toward more sustainable energy sources or whatever it is you know yeah. <laughs> buy more reusable plastics so something like that. And you read it and you're just like, well, that's obviously bullshit. If I if I if I if I switch to all renewable energy, if I put solar panels on my home, it's not gonna stop this problem. Like that's that's clearly not the answer. The answer is something where we have to do things that are so uh disruptive to the status quo that like you're gonna see it. Yeah. When you walk out in the street, you're gonna see that the that the change is happening you know Greta Thunberg you know said one of the things she said was that like when she learned in school how bad climate change was then she she was she was shocked to find out that this was how bad it was because she was like why don't I see out in the streets why don't I see it changing you know what I it's this is all going on as normal they're driving cars what's what are you doing? And like, that was sort of what like sent her into a, like almost like a, almost like into a comatose state for a while before she became the activist that we all know today. Um, and, uh, and so I say all that to say that like, when we, when we read all of these things and kind of become powerless, it's like, it's like, I think something snapped in all of our brains when we were reading about this pandemic in January, we were just like, oh. oh. <laughs> You know, like Adam Curtis, um, uh, the documentarian Adam Curtis, he has that he has that oh, dear thing that like when you when you read something, uh, then then as you're a a passive consumer of journalism, you read it and say, oh, dear, and then move on with your life. And that's your role in this is just to consume journalism and and move on. It's not like you're supposed to, like, change the system. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not what happened with this. one. We didn't get to all just read about the pandemic that was going. like, oh, things are bad in China. Oh, dear. And then all of a sudden things are bad where you are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you can't just say, oh, dear, you got to not leave. Um, and so this was an example of something where like, you know, it. It arrived. It showed up. It rang your doorbell. It <laughs> it really it said hello to you. You you didn't there was no cognitive dissonance between reading about it in the newspapers and looking out in the street. You can look out in the street and see this pandemic. Yeah. It's out there. And um and so it's like, okay, so back to climate change, like you'd you know, you I can't tell you what the exact connection is, how these two issues uphill. What are we gonna see? Like nobody driving, like how does that work exactly? And I couldn't answer the question, but what I will say is that like when we're actually doing something about it, when we're doing the equivalent of yeah. social distancing for climate change, it'll be like this because you will look out the window and see that it's happening. So you won't, you will no longer have that feeling that nothing is happening, no, that, that nothing is being done. So I mean, I think like having having a world event happen and then having it ring your doorbell sort of is teaching us that. We're we we actually are in the same world as the news
0: and It
1: it can actually show up at your house and that I think is the therapy for us all Like maybe we're all kind of more emotionally ready to deal with things like the things in my book um when when the time finally comes that was a long monologue uh, and i'm done no no so what was
2: the genesis of the book like when did you like when did you first get the idea that the and like how did you come upon these being the things that like you say climate change is something that runs throughout the book which like you do get like you talk about like the degree how how much the degrees of the and just a lot of the issues kind of whether it's the oil, like the when will when will the last barrel of oil be used or the thing of like fish like fishing and stuff like all of these things will affect just our kind of mass farming of fish, like obviously do affect climate change and stuff like that. But yeah, what how did you come a, come about these these were the definite things? Like, I guess some people like some of the titles are a bit more lighthearted, like The Day We Get a Real Jurassic Park. Like <laughs> but like yeah, yeah.
1: Where's well case? i mean it was it was it, it it was all of the things that i'm that i kind of think about all the time it's like, <laughs> I, I like i have a personality where I don't think i don't like to just sort of i don't like to do the adam curtis thing and just go oh dear like yeah. I like to go i like to go like when somebody says like and then then there'll be a pandemic so think about that then I'll say like <laughs> okay but, like and then there's a pandemic so then happens yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what happens and then what happens and then what happens and then what happens i'm just that's my personality um you know heat death of the universe that sounds real bad like what if we're there and the heat death is happening so like what do we what do we get yeah. like what happens to my body when the heat death is like you know um like i just I, that's how i treat these things i want to know the i want to know the ending of the movie whatever people are describing, I just, I want yeah, yeah. To, like, it's going to be really bad. How bad? Tell me <laughs> the whole thing. Um, so it was just that, that instinct to just know the whole thing, um, to not just leave it at the ellipses. Like it's going to be bad. Just so give that some thought, just like <laughs> to, to, to um, take it a step further. So let's just like all of these issues that like I, you know, the Jurassic park one is, that's a good example because like um, you know, that move when that movie came out uh or when that movie and book came out when i was in third grade um it was all very much like you know there were there were it was such a big blockbuster movie that there was like a tv special per day like the real jurassic park <laughs> that happened and um and they were all really dumb um well they weren't all really dumb it's just that like they didn't the people doing that research didn't do even the amount of research that Michael Crichton did to write the fictional yeah. book. And so they didn't really, they didn't really like give it any thought, you know, it would just, it would, it would be as, it would be as unthought out as somebody just kind of going like, well, you know, actually dinosaurs are extinct. They're all dead. So, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, it was just sort of like the, the sort of like, the sort of like actually things are not like they are in fiction. This is this is not. We're in the world, which is non-fiction. <laughs> things aren't like fiction here, so no. And you know, I've just never been. I've just never been sort of like satisfied with, yeah. <laughs> with that kind of like dismissive, like mm, let's be grownups thing. That um, that I think like that like I usually are. You know, like debunker articles or, or things like yeah. that. Which which does which does sort of like sometimes drive me toward like. Conspiracy websites and the show Ancient Aliens and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> but like, I have a, I have a, I have a, I still have a reality filter. Like, don't worry. I, 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 I go there. I, I, think I, I like to think I can sift out what's, uh, what's meaningful and useful when I'm in those kinds of places. So I kind of wanted to write something that was uh, not so sort of like dismissive and oh, let's be adult about all of these topics that you know that interest me that I think um other other sort of like books and or articles and things like that were um were handling in a way that I found like dismissive and boring and dumb.
2: when did you start like you said you've always uh wrote written articles about this kind of topic and the things that make you scared. Uh where was it? Like where were you like before obviously the book? Like uh what what publication were you writing the the, okay, <laughs> yeah,
1: for Vice, yeah, I oh, was yeah. working at Vice, <laughs> and uh, and and like I didn't always, I wasn't always able to write things like this. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know I could. I had a column. I I started out writing just about like, like the world, the world around me in LA, and like like I wrote this my first article that I ever wrote freelance for Vice when they first started um, taking. When they first when they first rolled out Vice.com as a as a publication online with its own editorial staff, um, they uh, they opened an LA office around that same time, and they hired editors. and I was just like, "Oh, I like that magazine. If they're going to have editorial on their website, I want to write for them." I didn't have. I was. I worked in advertising. I was nobody. <laughs> uh, that was, I was like. I had no. I, I didn't even major in journalism. I majored in screenwriting. I just I was just like, that sounds fun and I want to do it and it would be better than the job I have. And so I wrote I immediately wrote an article about like one about LA, just about some like ridiculous municipal projects that were going on where they were like selling LA kind of landmark buildings and I found oh. it really funny. Um and then uh and then and then the second article that I wrote was this really sort of like sarcastic article about Earth Day and about how like Earth Day is, um, it's it's Earth Day, and then I wrote about a bunch of the horrible, like, total despair-inducing things that were <laughs> happening in the world at the, uh, like, around Earth Day, like, yay! Um, so that was not a very mature, neither of those were very mature articles. <laughs> These things are depressing, and that kind of makes me laugh in a dark way, um, and, like, you know... And, and I slowly found my way into like that kind of thing, that kind of like, this is a bummer and that's funny Um, thing was a path that I kind of followed until I eventually had a full-time job there. And then I would say, I would say questions in story meetings, like, you know, what is it like, like, what's the day like when Kim Jong, when Kim Jong-un like sends a nuclear missile over to LA and like what what happens then you know and that was and and they were and they were just like yeah i don't know can you write about that and i was like <laughs> i don't know maybe and then i tried it and it worked and um i became the guy who does that whatever that is and um and then i did i did a million of those kinds of articles well yeah which, which kind,
2: of, kind of brings me to it sounds like this could have been one of your like uh pitches uh what happens when we interview Nicolas Cage? Uh, just with Nicolas Cage quotes, uh, which yes. like he's like in. A- Eventually,
1: this <laughs> had to be a Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of
2: course, of course. But like, what, what, like, what I like to do with this podcast is just speak to people from so many different uh, walks of life and just find out about like what they do, and then just at some point in their life there's been this intersection with uh nicholas cage whether it be um yeah like uh, tomorrow i'll be speaking to a software designer who has a i'm not sure sh- i'm not even sure how it works that's why i'm speaking to him but he has a thing where he can use the kind of gps in your phone and he had a, he showed me a five minute presentation where he had you log onto a website, and if you move your phone, it uses like the axis and the GPS, and it moves a picture of Nicholas Cage on screen. So, it's those kind of. Huh, I, I okay. want to meet. I want Sounds to. Good. Yeah, I want to meet those kind of people. I guess. I, don't,
1: I How guess he just, how he touches the lives of exactly many yeah and and, various and, people in so many walks of life.
2: And uh, yeah, like uh, again, I don't know when the, when this will go out, but like. I have plans to talk to a historian and tour guide from new Orleans to kind of find out what makes it such a crazy and appealing place for Nicolas Cage. And this guy,
1: have when, you been to new Orleans? Have you been? No, to, no, i I, unfortunately, cemetery, I think it's cemetery or where his pyramid is.
2: Yeah. So this, 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 this I, I found this guy just from being like, first of all, I was like, I want to speak to the person who built that built that mausoleum and then i was like i couldn't i couldn't find a name and then this guy was quoted in an article uh rob is his name was quoted in an article that said um all about the conspiracy theories around why it's a pyramid is it is it nicholas cage is a part of the illuminati is it just a nod to the national treasure film so so yeah obviously this would eventually come full set. well come round to Nicolas cage so how did how did that article come about was it just one of these kind of i don't know he, he, like as you said like blue sky thinking just oh how about we do this
1: it's a it's one of those ideas so dumb that advice you have to do it um like you know you get you get um You get all kinds of PR emails from all sorts of people when you you work at a publication like that, and you just ignore most of them because Mm -hmm. you just can't use it. It's just like, "Hi, I'm from, you know, uh, I'm from I'm from NBC, and our new show has a brand tie-in with Colgate, and we would like you to write about it." And we're just like, "No, there's nothing (laughs) for us to say." and you just you, and you just have to ignore most of them, and they know you're going to ignore most of them, and it's just like they want, they all want to have these relationships with the with the media because that's free advertising. And so, you know, uh, he was one of the people who um, the PR email, like when it hit my inbox, I was just like, I want to do this. <laughs> you know, uh, like I I don't have any idea how I can get our publication done an interview with nicholas cage about his movie dog eat dog but i still want to do it and so um because i have to because i have to pitch you know these more yeah, yeah. sort of like expansive things that are harder work than just like i want to just talk on the phone to nicholas cage and have that be my job for the day um, and so you know i had to I, I included it in a long list of pitches like i want to talk on the phone to nicholas cage Somebody wants me to talk on the phone to Nicolas Cage and I want to do it. And my editor, you know, in, mixed in with all these things about yeah. you know North Korea and stuff. And um, and my editor at the time, Jamie Tate, uh, who is brilliant, um you know, was just like, Yeah, 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 you want to talk on the phone of Nicolas Cage. Like, how do you justify that? And I was like, Maybe I prank him somehow, maybe I uh or maybe I do something stupid or something like that. And there was just like a back and forth for a while, just like they were just like Just like, you know, okay, I could, because advice you you, like, you, you, the way that we, like, we're all idiots, and we know what we, what kind of garbage we would click, because it's just like, this, I've got to know, like, what did this person do? And because we know what we would click, we, I think most of us there, this was in, like, I don't know what year this was like. 2016 2016. yeah yeah 2016 so you know at the the time it was kind of a different place at the time it was a lot there's a lot more sort of poop stuff there at the time (laughs) and you know and and you know like we we all read a lot of buzzfeed listicles and we were all sort of none of none of us have a very good maturity level and so we know (laughs) what kind of we we know what kind of stupid stuff would get our attention and that's the stuff that we write and um so there was just this back and forth for a while like what would what headline would get our attention, you know. And it was actually his idea like like but but in but in the following way just like well there's no way that you could like interview him using only Nicholas Cage quotes and I was like no I, yeah I could do that. I could do that, you know. Just like it was it was him who it was he he threw it out there dismissively and and me just wanting to interview Nicholas Cage and have that and I wanted a lazy day at work I was just like yes if that will work I will make that happen and so um, yeah because it ended up being (laughs) what
2: in essence it could be quite an easy thing because the guy has close to a hundred films as somebody who's working his way through all of them like like so you probably could like if you wanted to play it safe you probably could have played it safe. it's probably plenty of times in movies that he said hello how are you or like right. he's actually right. just asked people about their day or like asked any questions but oh, that's like the it. thing
1: about yeah that's the thing about clickbait though right because yeah, yeah. like you if if you clicked it and the questions were just hello how are you then you'd be like um no no, no. you want you want, you want someone it.
2: taking the taking a, a bit more of a
1: dare and obviously right. you say it like yeah yeah. so then it ended up being kind of hard work because i because you're exactly right i so then i start going through his his um his entire like you know filmography looking for like famous uh famous quotes that he put in movies that were in the form of a question you know um so like uh th- so this thing that I, was supposed to be easy ends up being really hard yeah. because <laughs> then i have to um So I have to watch the movie Dog Eat Dog. Which did did you see it yet? I had that. That no,
2: I'm watching them in chronological order. Um, Okay, so you'll get to it kind of late. Okay, that is that is what I'm looking forward like looking forward to in a way, just because it's the um, the holy trinity of Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe, and uh, is it Paul Schaefer directing? So it's going to be.
1: I I know I know. I mean, and it's it's like. I mean, he. You, did you see First Reformed recently? No, there's a one on
2: my list. All this time inside, yeah. I know I should be. I know I should be watching it because uh, I like, I, I like uh, Ethan Hawke, and, and I like A24, but that means nothing.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so Paul Schrader has been like, I don't know. It's it's he's got a good streak going. Yeah. Doggy Dog. Doggy Dog is this sleeper that nobody saw. That to me was like it. I was really glad I signed up to like um, interview him about this particular movie because it was so. It's like such a Nicholas Cage. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it's a really, really insane movie, and it doesn't look that insane just from the trailer. But he, you know, he makes it <laughs> insane. They both, they both make things that don't seem crazy. I mean, that's both that Trader and Nicholas Cage. Both. I'm glad they. I'm glad that, you know that. Well, this is that those two those two uh, streams came together because like it was a delightful experience. Well, this film
2: like Dog Eat Dog is actually um, a response to uh, Dying of the Light that uh, was directed by Paul Schrader, and uh, studios kind of got in the way and compromised the film against Paul Schrader's like vision for it. So, Dog Eat Dog was them going fuck the studio system we just want to make a like balls to the wall all out grotesque film uh, like you know, do you know what I you mean we don't we don't want to hold back and we just want to go crazy with it we want
1: cage up to 11. <laughs> I did not know that story and that makes perfect sense <laughs> <Because> that, is, <laughs> that really is what it is you know and so um and and like and so because of that I kind of I, I was like oh I'm gonna I am gonna get away with this because like so I have this one question on here that is a uh, so he, he says in Ghost Rider how does it feel to have all of that evil inside of you all of that power all I had to do was because his character in the movie is so insane all I had to do was say dog eat dog how does it feel to have all of that evil inside <laughs> of you all of that power and and he just he like went into he just answered the question it ended up being uh, it just ended up being like uh a, a, a fairly normal interview question. So I was kind of able to get away with it. It took me hours of going through like all of these <laughs> Nicolas Cage, like you know, all of the closed caption uh for like all of his movies that he had ever done, just like just like apple off question mark thing <laughs> for his character asking a question. And then and 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 exactly I didn't just I didn't as yeah. I know w- you're- whenever possible, I didn't just want it to be like, you know, how are you? You know, yes. there is the one that where I said in the rock, I guess we better get going. Don't you <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was, that was kind of a, that was kind of a throwaway to, just to sort of kick things off. Um, but yeah, so like that was, that was sort of how I structured the interview.
2: So do, do at any point, do you think he like cottoned on to what you were doing? Did he? like? I
1: thought he would at the end. So, <laughs> so uh, I, he didn't, I'm pretty sure he didn't. And I was, and I was pretty sure he would at the end. And so, like, um, I entertained the idea of finishing the interview with um, my with one of my favorite quotes uh, because I thought when I said, I thought when I when I closed it off, I said, um, "Do you think fish have dreams?" Which is something he said in Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, and and like I just said it out of the blue. And I thought he'd be like, aha. All right. I remember saying that in bad Lieutenant court of Colum, New Orleans. He didn't. He, <laughs> he gave me a speech about how, how he thinks that fish maybe do have dreams. He had a whole like story that he wanted to tell me when I asked him that question. And I was just flabbergasted <laughs> listening to him tell this story about fish that I had just prompted. So like, I thought it was over and like, I, like, I thought the interview, I thought the interview was over and I had it like I had it in my head to transition from him going like, um, yeah, that was a pretty crazy movie quote, which was the answer that I thought he was going to give me. Like, ah, I see what you've been doing. Like, I thought the gig would be up by then. And, um, and and it wasn't. Instead, he answered the question straight. So then I couldn't transition to the question I wanted to ask, which was going to be from The Rock, which is um, my favorite. Nicolas Cage movie quote that ends with a question mark, which is "How in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of the cell?" <laughs> um, and I didn't get to ask him that because, like, it just was—it just would have been so weird <laughs> out of the blue <laughs> since he had answered the previous question. Um, so normally, like, I, 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 on on my deathbed, I will regret that I did not say Nicholas <laughs> Cage, "How in the name of Zeus's butthole did you get out of the cell?" um but you know that was just how it that was just sort of how it shook out
2: i feel like of all actors though he's the he's the perfect person to have done that to just not just that obviously there's such a wealth of material to go to go through but just in that, like you say like looking at it now the um yeah the kind of monologue he went on about fish having dreams is is just like the the Almost the thing of legend that we hear of Nicholas Cage—that he is this kind of nouveau shamanic, like, yeah, he's amazing.
1: Of... Yeah, he's so amazing. It's, it's... I loved him so much in that moment when he was saying that fish thing. I was just like, you, are, you truly, truly, you are the national treasure, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Well, I'll be sure to put the um, the
2: article in the show notes as well as uh, like links to your book and where people can buy it and um, listen to it however they want to ingest what you've written yeah yeah please
1: i Um, mean people people have responded very well to the audiobook so if you want if you want to get the audiobook i recommend it it's read by me so it's this voice you're hearing right now
2: (laughs) yeah that's that's one of that's one of the things i just kind of i've recently got like back into listening to audiobooks and like i hadn't even i hadn't even thought about it with your book and i'm normally like put off when it's not the not the not the author themselves. And like as somebody who's listened to it who isn't the author, I can say it is a really good listen and I imagine it'll be a fantastic read. And it's I found it really handy as well. You um there's a PDF that comes with the audiobook that kind of like with great great illustrations for each like chapter heading and kind of graphs in there and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, a board game. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Well, uh I'll let you I'll let you go, Mike. I'll let you get on with what you've got to do. But um before before you go is there any way people can like keep up to date with like your articles and stuff like that and like
1: yeah sure check me out stuff? on twitter.com i'm at <laughs> mike lee pearl you can you can find me there and this was really fun i really appreciated uh you know being here this is i had a the, great time
2: the pleasure is all mine mike this is uh this has been another bizarre conversation in <laughs> the best way possible how was that for you guys because I had so much fun recording it it was a really good chat yeah I just really hope you guys uh took away from it what, what what I kind of took away from it that Mike is just a great mind and he's got so many interesting things to say about so many interesting things unlike me because I just said that sentence so many interesting things about so many interesting things but it's true uh, <laughs> so I'll let it slide but anything, as I said in the episode, anything that Mike mentions, whether it's his book or the article you wrote for Vice, the fantastic uh, interview, which I I remember seeing in 2016 and it always stuck with me. And when I first um, started this podcast, I, I reached out to Mike, but kind of at that time didn't really have the confidence or just the drive to to follow up all these ideas that I had. And I'm so glad that However, many years later, like three, yeah, three four years later, that we managed to connect and talk about that amazing interview. Because otherwise, I would never have heard of his initial plans, and I'm kind of glad I got to speak speak to him when I did. Because I wouldn't have got to talk about how great his book is and share that with with you guys. So, yeah, if you do get a hold of the book or get turned on to any of that please um hit me up like i'd, I'd love to discuss some of the things that I talked about in it with some of you guys so as of next wednesday we'll be back to normal with just regular broadcasting uh this time it will be talking about season of the witch so tune in for that one just for uh, a conversation between me and my good friend joe gardner of tonight with podcast uh well yeah we'll be talking about that and as always you can keep up to date with what's going on with all things caged in on social media so that's at caged in on uh, facebook and twitter and uh caged in pod at gmail.com for the emails or you can support the podcast on patreon um for yeah as little or as much as you want uh it doesn't matter it's just just All I really want is money to cover the uh, hosting fees for the podcast. Uh, Apart from that, like, I don't know, any extra money I get would be great. Like, um, I'd love to be able to print some t-shirts or just any cool, cool things we can do like that. Just anything I can do really to give back to you guys. Uh, So, yeah, as always, PetroPathCinibus, Caged In Podcast. You've been rad. I've been Caged In.
1: Bye.
0: It's family.